So friends, um, there's a new documentary that was released. I don't know if you've uh, seen it, but it, it, it releases some new evidence about alien visits to our planet. And the picture that this documentary gives, pretty compelling. And, and what it is, is it, the, the compelling message is this, that these aliens have visited us and they have made it very clear that we're in trouble, literally hovering their craft over top of nuclear weapon sites and, and literally shining a light right down onto the weapons themselves, as if to say, we have a problem with this. Why, why the violence? Um, and, 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 and showing up to school children and telepathically planting kind of this sense in their mind that, that the way the human world is going with technology is just gonna be bad, is gonna be ruinous. So friends, as we visit the book of Joshua, it is as if we are aliens visiting a nonsensical planet. And we look at some of the things in this, particularly the violence, the conquest of Canaan, and we, we have a problem with it. We see things like in verse 10, what is only hinted at and later explicitly dealt with in this book. Uh, I, God will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites and all those other names. We see, other, we see as that's fleshed out later on in the book that um, it seems like every man, woman, and child wiped out so that this new group can occupy the land. And this doesn't sit well with us. And we look at other places in the Bible and we say, what about loving your enemies? What about blessed are the peacemakers? And so for many of you and for your friends who, who won't join us, at church. Chapter one in their book entitled, Why I Can't Take the Bible Seriously, is, you know, Joshua and the Conquest of the Canaanites. As we approach Joshua and the cultural context that produces this, we, we do it with our own brand new cultural context and everything feels wrong. And really, this is actually brand new historically. This, even in recent eras, this was not people's reaction as they approached this book. Um, let alone long ago when this was originally written, people did not find it problematic. Um, and what usually, unfortunately, what usually happens today in our instantaneous reaction to what happens in the book of Joshua, what, what what, what usually doesn't happen is that the reader takes the time to absorb the stories, take them as they are, enter into the context within which they exist, and then listen for what you hear. And if you begin to do that, which I know is hard and it's always impossible to remove all of our cultural context, it's our very way of of going about life and finding meaning, but if you can enter in and try to remove your context a little bit, your point of view a little bit, and enter into the point of view of the, the scripture stories, if, and if you were reading through the Bible, what you would notice, you notice a couple of things. First of all, what might surprise you is that this Yahweh God of the Old Testament, he actually has trouble with this violence as well. 
And actually, his idea of the way the world works is, is um, he, he has a problem with the way violence has taken over and warlike peoples have brought their oppression. But what you'd also notice is that there's something that, that for this Yahweh God is even more problematic. There's something that troubles him even more. And actually, it's something that is the root that even leads towards the warlike violence. And God's greatest problem is a problem of injustice where the world, um, where there's this world where the people have dispensed of the world's maker. The people have dispensed of the world's maker and thus, as a result, they have become warlike peoples. They have become people who wipe each other out. So the root, the root issue that you would take if you could enter in with this sort of, you know, kind of remove your mindset and enter into the ancient mindset is the root is that uh, this turning away from God and turning towards idols, choosing to play religion and religious games instead of walking in an honest relationship with God. And so there's this underlying toxic problem that has taken root. And that's you know, the major problem. That's the biggie. When I moved to Sacramento, when Lisa and I moved here like 15 something years ago, uh, everyone was talking about the rail yards. You remember this? The rail yards, the rail yards. We're gonna develop the rail yards. But we gotta clean them up first. There was toxins in the soil. And so before some nice new family settled into the Curtis Park rail yard or the downtown rail yard in their house, and had their, their nice little two-year-old Matilda playing in the soil and eating the zucchini from the vegetables and potentially getting some kind of toxin in her body and causing cancer or something like that. There was a zero tolerance for those toxins and they had to be cleared off the land so that good, healthy, new life could be lived on that land. There was a zero tolerance. In the Bible, that's the situation before the Israelites. Reading Genesis through Joshua through the perspective of Genesis through Joshua and actually giving it a chance to be the story that it is would create for you, if you were listening, a real horrifying picture. And it's not just the picture of the conquest. The horrifying picture, the bigger one at issue, is the spoiling of the artwork of God's creation. The poisoning of God's ecology. The betrayal of the gift giver, you know, by those who were given the gifts. And this sort of sinister twisting of justice towards people's own means. A sort of stealing the art from the artwork, or the artwork from the artist. And if we give the story an actual chance, a real chance, at face value, to your dismay, you might find that you can actually start to get on board with the sense that what needs to happen is some kind of reinstatement of the artist, a sort of recovery plan to reclaim God's gifts from the thieves, get them back from the thieves, a sort of zero tolerance for the thievery so that it doesn't take root again, a zero tolerance for the poisoning of God's ecology. And to put it simply, and really this is the big, the big issue, the root cause, the zero tolerance for any traces of the replacement gods, the counterfeit gods and idols that have taken over the land. 
Kind of like if you're a if you're a gardener and you and you have a Bermuda grass problem. You know that any tiny little rhizome that's left anywhere underground, yeah, Kate. Any little rhizome left in the ground is it doesn't matter how much you've killed everything else off that tiny one little scrap of Bermuda can invade and cause the whole problem to return. This is what it's like. The real goal here, the real issue here is actually hinted at in verse 10 before we list all those tribes, is that this is how you will know that the living God is among you. To put it in the words just a page earlier in the Bible of Rahab, who is in this land that is that where people are going to be driven out, where she says, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. The issue is the proper place of the real God. That's the issue at stake in reinstating that God. It was a justice issue. It was a root cause of all the warlike practices. And so this false way of building their lives had to be banned. There had to be a ban. In fact, the ancient word is ban. The ancient word in Hebrew and it's found in a lot of ancient is, uh, literature is cherem. The concept is that a, a complete clean slate is needed in devotion to this God who is the real God. A ban. And we're harsh on this. We don't like this. But in today's world, we have justice issues that arise in popularity and that begin to be a part of our worldview. And we enact our own ban, don't we? One of the things this ban gets called is uh, canceling. Somebody goes out of line, someone violates this justice, and we, en we enact the ban. We cancel. We shut off this person's means of having any influence. We allow ourselves to ban, but we're outraged that in another cultural moment, a different ban had its place. We imagine really, this is, this is just the level at which we can have a sort of a chronological snobbery. We imagine that we are the only ones in history that have the correct eyeglasses on to see justice correctly. And so even God's justice in the Bible has to pass our litmus test first and gain our approval. God needs to check in with us before we will allow his justice to stand. And part of Joshua, one of the things in this book that we don't get to get into too much because we're not spending much time in it, but there is this constant call for God's people to have courage. Courage. And I would say that, that we can be encouraged. We can be nudged towards having courage to look for God in the Bible, despite our hesitancies that come from our current worldview. Despite whatever contemporary bias that we've been given, that we carry into the passage, have courage to look into the Bible and to see how God exists in its pages. Because in Joshua, the book really is basically giving us one picture and Judges, the next book, will give a very different picture. The Joshua picture is, hey, there's this covenant, there's these promises, and God is finally going to do this sort of definitive uh, answering in his actions to fulfill the covenant. 
He's going to give them this land. If when it comes down to him, here's his actions of how he was faithful. And then Judges will be not a book so much about how God was faithful. It'll very much be an answer of like, well, were the people faithful? And the answer is no. So it'll show the unfaithlessness of the people. In fact, as the story carries on, you'll actually see that the Israelites need to get banned too. The Israelites get evicted and need to get evicted just like the Canaanites did. They're driven out of the land. And so there is at work those two things, the Joshua message and the, and the um, judges message. There's God's faithfulness, but there's our unfaithfulness. That's always presence. There's God's um, bringing into the land. There's also the ban. There's also the judgment that has its place. We don't quite understand. We look back and we wonder, how am I supposed to read this book? How does it apply? And I, I, I just assure you, I want to assure you that it's not because we need to take it as some kind of instruction manual for how to look and how to have a worldview in our world today and how to approach other people and peoples who are different, how to think about our land. No, 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 none of that stuff. It's a book that prepares us and sets us up to understand why, what, was, what on earth was going on with Jesus. Because here in Jesus now, finally, as God holds together this thing of his faithfulness, but also this justice, as God holds these together, finally in Jesus we find in one person how this faithfulness and this ban will hold together in one. And we find Jesus as God's son coming as one, not who is going to enact the ban like the first Joshua with a sword in his hand. Instead, the second Joshua, Yeshua, the ban would fall on his head. And finally, what becomes of that is that the transition to the New Testament view that we live within today, the New Testament worldview and point of view where we say, the ban is over. We don't live under the shadow of the ban. We don't live under the shadow of the judgment because God has found, unbelievably found a way and Jesus has risen from the dead. God has found a way through Jesus that the ban no longer rests upon our world as we cower in fear. There is now, as scripture says, we enter into this not with a sort of uh, holy people entering into a land that is ours kind of view of the world. We look at this book now through the fact that we can now fully immerse ourselves in the worldview that comes out of Jesus that says there is now no condemnation, no ban. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And blessed are the peacemakers. And for that, and leaning in and moving towards other people who look and talk differently than us with the view of Revelation 7. That we are on the move and we are closer and closer than ever to that view of Revelation 7 that shows all tribes not wiping each other out, but singing to the Lamb on the throne together. That is the vision that we are led to through the book of Joshua. Let us pray. Our heavenly God, as we want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, as we long for a kind of a peace to exist amidst all the division and all the fighting, all the anger and all the hate, and as we so badly don't want to regress into some former time with your name on our lips, but violence on our hands. 
And so we ask for your help in this. We ask for the confidence in the gospel of Jesus and what you have accomplished to rid, to rid the fear of judgment from our minds and our hearts and undeserved grace filling us over to overflowing. We ask that you make this possible through your Holy Spirit as we listen for your voice, not just in this passage, but in our lives moving forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.